0: Okay, I need, we're going to start with a little bit of scripture. I need five volunteers to read some passages for me, some short passages. So if you would mind reading, will you raise your hand for me? Can you do uh, Psalm 135, 5 through 6? Six? Psalm 16, 11. Psalm 37, 3 through 4? I need, I need another volunteer. Come on, come on. Chris Day, can you read Matthew 13, 44? in Matthew 6, 30 through 34. Matthew 6, 30 through 34. So I'll give you a plan of what we're going to do tonight. We, I'm going to, we'll read these scriptures and come up with three biblical principles from these scriptures. All right, you guys scooch down. We can find our spot. That's good. We're going to find three biblical principles from these scriptures that we're going to kind of trace through the life of George Mueller. We'll do a biographical sketch, kind of talk through his life and see if we can pull some of those out. And then we'll end with some um, motivations, I'm going to call them, motivations to learn more about George Mueller. I, I hope you will enjoy this. So, Psalm, you, those of you who don't have it open to these verses, I think many of them will be familiar to you, so just try to listen, and here we go. Number one, 135, Psalm 135, five through six. So who who does whatever he pleases? Who does that? The Lord, God does, right? Where does he Where does he do that? Where did that passage say that? In in heaven and on earth. That's like everywhere, right? Everywhere and at all times, God is. So my my point number one is that God is sovereign, and we're going to see that in the life of George Mueller. God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants, heaven and on earth, at all times. God is in total control. Okay, number two, Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, my my second principle we're gonna see is that we are to delight in God. We are to delight in God. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and read Psalm 37, three through four. I mean, it's an actual command in that passage. You are to delight in the Lord your God." And Matthew 13:44. of, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a, field. When a man found, it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I, I love that picture, right? What did he sell to buy the field? What did he sell, Chris? He all that he had everything. And, and the motivation of it was joy, right? And it says, in his joy, he was willing to sell all that he had. That didn't matter to him, because there was joy in what he was getting in the kingdom of God. Good. We are to delight in God. And then finally, Matthew six thirty through 34. All right, so my, my principle here, we're, God is sovereign, we're to delight in God, and number three, we are to trust and obey. Uh, that, that talks about seeking first uh, his kingdom and his righteousness, and not to be anxious about tomorrow. No, you don't need to be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, uh, what you're going to get for Christmas, uh, right? I, right now is a season where I'm anxious about certain things, and um, maybe you are too, And you're going to hopefully see from the life of George Mueller there's not a need to be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. Okay, those are the three things. Can you watch for that in the life of George Mueller as we go through? Okay, how many of you all have heard the name George Mueller before? How many of you have heard of the name George Mueller? Okay, how many of you have read a biography or listened to a message of George Mueller? So this is great. You guys can basically teach this for me. You already know this. Hopefully it'll be a refresher. Um, we're going to do a, a, a biographical sketch. We're going to look at uh, kind of four sections. His birth to his new birth, and then his conversion to what he did for his kind of life work. There's some key things that happen in there. Then his kind of life work and ministry, and then the kind of final ministry of his life. He's got ministry that just extended and extended and extended. So those are the four sections. You can go to the next slide. Here's George Mueller in kind of the picture of history. I don't know if you guys can see this, but the... Uh, he was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. He was a contemporary of Queen Victoria in England. Um, she became queen in 1837. Can you, is it working? There it is. There we go. Queen Victoria, D.L. Moody was born during uh, George Mueller's life. He was born in 1805 and lived till 1898. Uh, Nietzsche, you can see Karl Marx wrote his Communist Manifesto during this time. We had our American Civil War. Uh, Albert Einstein and Adolf Hitler, just a couple names to get you in the frame of where we are. I am not the same history buff that Alex is. I don't know if you guys were here last week. That was fantastic. It was super interesting. I'm enjoying these biographies. But I'm going w- to stick to what I've got here so I don't get in deep waters I don't understand. Um, so b- his birth to his new birth. George Mueller was born on September 27, 1805 in Kroppenstadt, Prussia, which is now part of Germany. And he lived his early life as a thief, as a sinner, and as a liar. There's, there's great uh, stories in his biographies that you've got to pick up and read. One of them's about the time that his dad found out that he was stealing when he was 10 years old. Um, but occasionally he, he would get caught doing these things that were wrong. And there wasn't a lot of conviction of him to want to be right with the Lord. The conviction was that he wouldn't get caught again because he was getting beaten by his dad or had consequences. So it wasn't that he was sorry for his sin before God, it was that. He didn't want to get caught most of the time. There were times where he almost seems like he wants to make his life better, but he just keeps going back to his sin. He lived as a partier as he was growing up, over and over again. Uh, at 16, he, would, he, he did this uh, traveling where he stayed in a hotel, and after about three days, he took off, and he went to another hotel without paying his bill. And he tried to do it again, and he got caught and put in jail for it he sat there for a month before his dad came uh, and bailed him out and and he, and he goes home and he gets beaten and, and even at that point he just says i was like he didn't repent he wasn't trying to be right with the lord in any way so he he had a friend named beta and beta invited him to a bible study uh, just a bible study and a- after that is when he was converted and i want to uh, I'm going to read a, a quote for you in a second, but he, think, of, uh, think of Partier. He loved to drink and gamble, and, and he lived for the pleasure of this world. He did not delight in God. He delighted in his pleasure, and it was fleeting. He just had to keep getting it and keep getting it and keep getting it, and it never ultimately delivered. It might have delivered for a short time, but not, but not totally. He was always looking for more. And then this happened. Uh, the, the time, he, sa- he says this about this. The time has now come when God would have mercy upon me. At a time when I was as careless about him as ever, he sent his spirit into my heart. I had no Bible, and I had not read it in years. He didn't even own a Bible. I went to church, but seldom. But, but from custom, I took the, the Lord's Supper twice a year. I had never heard the gospel preached, never. I had never met a person, never met with a person who told me that he meant, by the help of God, to live according to the holy scriptures. In short, I had not the least idea that there were any persons really different from myself, except in degree. He had never really met a a true true believer, is what he's saying, right? Or at least anyone that communicated that to him in any meaningful way. At the point at which he wrote this, he was studying to become a preacher in Halle, Germany. So his dad had sent him to school, paid for him to go to school, so that he could become a pastor. And in those days, it, it wasn't because his dad was a very pious person or cared about the Lord. His dad wanted him to make a good living And so it was a very cultural thing, and the preachers made a good living if you did it well. And so he was studying to be a preacher. He was literally studying at a university to become a pastor, and that's what he says about the dead spirituality of that time. So um, he goes to this Bible study, and uh, why don't you guess, what do you think they did at this Bible study? Beta invites him and says, come to this Bible study with me. What do you think? What's one thing you think they did at this Bible study? Read the Bible. They read the Bible. All right, what's something else you think they did? Prayed. Pray. They prayed at this Bible study. There's two. Yep. What else do you do at Bible study sometimes? Sing. They sing a hymn or two. Good. And they did one other thing. What do you think? No, no. P- prayed. They, they had a message or a sermon. Okay. Now, the sermons at, in this Bible meeting uh, they couldn't actually preach a sermon, so what they would do is read one. It was illegal unless you were ordained through the Lutheran Church in Prussia to actually preach your own sermon. So they would read, and and the man who would eventually become a missionary, who was leading this group, uh, would just read a read a sermon. But it impacted George. It was night and day. He he had felt like he had never met anybody like it before. You got to read the book. I get emo- I got emotional so many more times than I expected reading this book over hearing his delight. And the stuff of this world switched, and he was like, "This is what I've been looking for, and here it is." Um, and it was immediate. And he he remembers vividly the the man who was leading it getting on his knees to pray and just thinking, "This is something I've never seen before, and I want some of it." So he tells everybody he knows that he's become a believer, and he is it, he couldn't wait for the next week. This Bible study met weekly, and he couldn't wait till the next week. He goes back the next day and the next day to meet with this guy to learn from him. It's fascinating. So he turns his life around immediately and he's converted. Okay, so the next, this next, so that's that section. We can see God's sovereignty clearly in in there. We see his delight switch from the delight of the things of this world to his delight in God. Um, And we're going to see more about him trusting and obeying. So conversion to his life work. So after he becomes uh, a believer, he, um, through. Uh, pretty quickly, he be, he wanted to become a missionary. He he thinks he wants to go to become a missionary. Oh, maybe he's going to be a missionary to the Jews. Then, oh, I'll be a missionary to the Jews in in England. And then I want to be a missionary to the to Bucharest. And at one point, he got a letter from somebody saying, "Why don't you come to Baghdad and be a missionary here?" Um, so through a course of events and working with a denomination, he gets or a missionary society, he gets to England and he's studying to become a missionary. And he doesn't want to wait to be a missionary until he's done with his studies, until he's done through this training program. So he's telling everybody he knows on the street corners that he can meet um, about Jesus, basically. Um, he's asked to preach a sermon, which he couldn't do. Uh, he tried to read a sermon, which flopped and didn't go well. And so since that didn't go well, he said, well, what I'll do is I'll read a passage of Scripture, I'll explain what it means, and then we'll talk about how it applies to us. That sounds, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And, and that's the style of what his sermons look like he I mean, expositional, if you will, a lot of what maybe we would get on a sunday morning or or other times at this church so that's what his preaching looked like. He desired to be a missionary during this 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 next season, as he was doing this, a church called him to be their their pastor and uh, and, and he accepted that and then in the summer of eighteen thirty he was about twenty five years old he decided it was Quote, better to be married than not to be married, is how he puts it in his autobiography. He, he had his eyes on Mary Groves, who George thought would be a good wife, and this is why. A, she could play piano. B, she painted beautifully. C, she could bri- provide intellectual companionship. She was really smart, proficient in, in English grammar, geography, history, French, Latin, Hebrew, math, astronomy. Um, so he was like, oh, she's smart. And now George was smart. He got Really great grades, even though he was a partier. He was just brilliant and could skate through school. So he he was excited about that. And then the other thought, the other thing he said about her, which I thought was pretty funny, was that uh, she had the. It's, he says she had the largest nose he had ever seen on anyone. <laughs> Can you imagine writing that about your wife one day? <laughs> you don't have the largest nose I've ever seen. Um. So he wrote her a letter and said, "I want to marry you." And happened to be where she was for days later, and she agreed, and um, a couple days, a couple, I don't know, it was a couple weeks later, I think, they got married, and their, their reception included the Lord's Supper. It was a quick ceremony reception, and they immediately moved back to his house and started on their ministry. There was no, you know, rest and honeymoon and recovery. It was just, here we go. And then the other thing that happened in this, in this time is this church that he was serving at had something called pew rents. Does anybody here remember from reading his biography or other times what that pew rent was? They want to explain it to the the group? Anybody? No? Come on. Help me out. All right. So, pew rent. This is how it worked. Pretend that these were the nicest seats, which they are, right, up front. And the people that sit in them pay money so that they kind of claim their spot with their money. And the people who sit in the back don't have any money, so they're sitting way back there where Pastor Brian can't even see them. And George becomes convinced. This is not biblical. James 2 clearly says we're not supposed to show favoritism. The people that have the best seats are the ones with the money. We can't do this. Well, that pew rent was paying his salary. So, as soon as he said no more pew rents, he knew that meant, I don't know what I'm going to make. I can't, can I make a living? I don't know. But he was convinced. And so, what they did was they got rid of the pew rents, they put a box in the back, and they said, if you want to support our ministry and support this church, you put a box, you put money in the box in the back. Well, you can tell they weren't all into it because his salary went from here down to here, from what came in in the box in the back. But he was convinced, and he said, "We're gonna, we're gonna trust the Lord together and see what He does." And that that was influential in his life um, to set him up for the next the next years. Okay, all right, we're tracking good. His life work, his life work. So uh, the first thing about his life work was he created. The, well, actually, let's go over this this kind of summary here really quick. He ended up pastoring the same church in Bristol, Engen, England for 66 years. He was an independent, so eventually he split from his denomination, from what I understand. He was premillennial, reformed, Baptist. He celebrated the Lord's Supper each week at his church, and he welcomed unbaptized members into their church. That's just a wide variety of, of beliefs there. He was a, He was eccentric, and his eccentricities, I don't know how you say that word, resulted in large-hearted, outward-directed ventures that were creative. That's how John Piper puts it. He says he was, he, he was kind of odd, and he had these oddities, but these things didn't go to benefit himself. They ended up, what he wanted to do was they were outward and evangelistic and to minister to people, and they were creative. Um, one of his biographers said he devised large and liberal things for the Lord's cause. He, he preached for Charles Spurgeon at the Tabernacle. He did follow up with D.L. Moody in ministry in America. He greatly influenced Hudson Taylor's way of doing and funding ministry and even helped fund Hudson Taylor's ministry. So that's a, a high level summary. You go to the next picture. We got a picture here of that's Mary. Isn't she? She's got a large nose. And, uh, you go to the next slide. This is where Bristol is if you look at England. And the next one kind of puts it in frame with. All of the rest of England, you can see Bristol there it was right on a port city, and a um, at that time a decent city. I believe the economy was going south because their port wasn't as good as some of the other ports. Um, you can go to the next one, at in uh, Bristol, which is where he moved. He he took a new pastorate at Bethesda Chapel, and that's a copy of the um, of the Bethesda Chapel, and he he did this with a a friend of his. They were kind of co-pastors of this church and another church there in Bristol. So the first thing he did was he said, man, people don't know their Bibles. So what are we gonna do? He says, well, I'm gonna basically start a nonprofit organization. We need to help people understand their Bibles. So he called it the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. And it had three primary goals. Number one, assist and establish day schools, Sunday schools, and adult schools in which scriptural teaching was given. Pretty straightforward. Two, distribute Bibles, and three, to aid in missionary work. And that's what it did. So for years and years and years, and I believe there's even a, a fund set up that it's even doing this to this day, um, it's, it's, it's promoting those three things. Uh, the second thing that he did was orphan care, and that's what he's known most for, is the orphanages that he set up. And, and for the orphan care, he had two desires that, that came together. Well, number one, he wanted to show that God was trustworthy and can be trusted in every area of life. And then number two, he had to love and care for orphans. So I'm gonna tease, I'm gonna tease these out with a, with a story or two. Um, he had a desire to show that God could be trusted in every area, area of life. Repeatedly, he felt his people needed their faith strengthened. He, 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 he was ministering to people of his church, and in those days, he visited them a lot. So outside of their Sunday morning gathering, he would go and see and talk to the people of his church. And he just felt like they, they, their faith was weak and, and almost non nonexistent. What, what can we do? And uh, you can go to the next one. One man uh, whom he visited, he, he worked 16-hour days, his health was suffering, and his Christian faith meant little to him. And he says, Mueller says, if, if you worked less, your health would improve and you would have more time to read your Bible and pray. You would then know more joy spiritually. And the man replies, but if I work less, I don't earn enough to support my family. Even now, while I work such long hours, I scarcely have enough. The wages are so low that I have to work hard to obtain what we need. So Mueller replied, well, my dear brother, it is not your work which supports your family, but the Lord and he who has fed you and your family when you couldn't work at all on account of illness, would surely provide for you and yours if for the sake of obtaining food for your inner man, you were to work only for so many hours a day as would allow you proper time for recreation. And isn't it the case now that when you begin the work of the day, after having only a few hurried moments for prayer, and, and when you leave off your work in the evening and mean to read a little of the Word of God, aren't you much too worn out in body and mind to enjoy it? And don't you often fall asleep while reading the scriptures or while you're on your knees in prayer oh this this interaction is fascinating to me he says you have to understand that god has promised to supply the needs of all his children jesus told us to seek god's kingdom first and he will add all of the other things to us it's a fine idea pastor but, but if i cut back on my hours i don't think god would provide real things for me like shoes or food do you i, I And then he kind of steps back and goes, I mean, I know the Bible says that he can do it, and you preach it at all, but I've never seen it for myself in real life, if you know what I mean. These were the kind of conversations he was having, and he was convinced they needed a picture of somebody who trusted the Lord. They needed to know what faith looked like, and he wanted to show them. And so this, this time frame in his life, he decided, you know what, I'm going to start these orphanages, and we're going to do this work, but we're never, ever going to ask anybody for money. We're never going to ask people to support the work of the orphanage. We're just going to pray and, and show that God can support it and do everything that needs to be done through this orphanage because we prayed. He had a love and a desire to care for orphans. He had worked with an orf- orphans in Prussia when he was younger, and now saw their plight in England in the 1830s. In, in 1835, it was an especially tough year for the Millers. Um They had a, a young boy who who died, and Mary's father had died uh, within the same week. So it was a, it was a very difficult year. And then um, uh, George got sick. He he got sick. Of, he was he was decently healthy most of his life, but he had bouts. Of this stomach ulcer, and, and this was a season of that, and he had to go to the island of White, the Isle of Wight to, to get refreshed and to have better uh, climate. And when he did that, he read some biographies and, and did some more reading. But one of the things he did was he read newspapers, and every week he's reading about these uh, the plight of the poor in England. And and what had happened in, in 1834 was they enacted a new law, and what that law basically was was if you're if you're poor and you can't provide for yourself or pay your debts, you're gonna go to a poorhouse where you'll work and they'll feed you uh, until you can work it off or somehow get well enough so that you can live on your own. But it, it didn't work and it was horrible and the the disease and the death in these poorhouses was rampant and they, they purposely had the conditions bad because they didn't want people to stay there. They, they didn't want people to wanna go there. It was motivation, don't go to the, Don't have to go to the poorhouse. You gotta take care of yourself and your family. Um, they, they got two meals a day in the poorhouse, and uh, as soon as you were seven years old, you worked all day, and you couldn't even be with your parents, and uh, barely see any visitors. Uh, he had a student in his, uh, one of his classes that was set up from that Scriptural Knowledge Institute that set up these Sunday cl- classes and these classes for the Bible studies, and one of those students had to go to this poorhouse because his, his parents didn't, couldn't afford it anymore or actually his parents had died and he had gone to live with his aunt and his aunt waited until there was no money and no food left and then sent him to the poorhouse. So Mueller looked at what was in front of him and said, I see this great need and I want to show people that they can trust God and he put the two things together. Um, here's, here's another quote for that. I certainly did from my heart desire, I, I did from my heart, I desired to be used by God to benefit the bodies of the poor children bereaved of both parents and seek in other respects with the help of God to do them good for this life. I also particularly longed to be used by God in getting the dear orphans trained up in the fear of God. So he wanted to help them physically, and he wanted to teach them the Bible. But still, the first and primary object of the work was that God might be magnified. Glorifying God being the first purpose of what he's doing. God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans, orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. So the, there's this, I, I love that quote because it kind of put those two things together. He did care for these people and wanted to help these, these orphans that didn't have anything. Um, but his ultimate goal was how can I glorify God and encourage the local church? Uh, love it. It um, energizes me. So let's talk about the orphanages a a little bit. He never asked for money. Um, He did publish reports every year that said, here's how much we brought in, and here's how much we spent taking care of the orphans. Or we built a building, and this is how much it costs, so that they would uh, be aware of that. Uh, But the biographies, when you read them, have story after story after story about God providing Uh, when he didn't ask. So let me, uh, oh, he ended up with, uh, by the end of his life, there were five homes um, that up to 2,000 orphans at one time, and during his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans and uh, impacted potentially through the SKI, through those other schools, up to 100,000 people around the world through that that ministry. Um, So one story I'll tell you is, uh, the, he, he's working and uh, it's, it's the morning and it's time for breakfast because they fed these, the, the orphans and the, the person who's responsible for breakfast comes into his office and knocks on it and says, uh, Mr. Mueller, there's no food there's no money to buy food and it's breakfast time. They're just sitting down to breakfast. What do you want me to do? He says, let me finish something and I'll be there to pray over the meal and uh, you just hold tight so he finishes this thing, he goes down there, and he, he prays for this meal. He prays, uh, Father, thank you for all that you provide. Thank you for what you're even going to give us today uh, to take care of us, and that you've always taken care of us. And he, he finishes his prayer, and there's a knock on the door, and it's a baker. And he, he couldn't sleep all night. And God just put it on my heart, and I've been... Wondering, I wonder if the the orphans have anything to eat. So I got up extra early this morning and here's bread enough to feed all of the orphans. And they walk in and they're having fresh bread. And a couple seconds later, and guess who it is? It's the milkman. His cart's broken down out front and his milk's gonna go bad and he needs to alleviate his cart from some of this. So would, would they like to have some of it? God didn't have to do that, right? He provided exactly at the right time uh, a picture so that they would have faith in him and met their needs. In August of 1851, he was expanding houses and he, he you know, he, they started in his home then they rented homes and then they bought homes and then they built new homes and new homes. And uh, in 1851, a false rumor went around. They were trying to buy, build a new home and somebody had told people, hey, somebody's already given him a, 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 was it 30,000 pounds? It was some large number that was a really great start that they thought he'd be fine for a while. So somebody started this rumor, which wasn't true. They had less than 1,000 pounds, and somebody said they had 30,000, I think is what the numbers were. But, but George Mueller didn't tell anybody what they needed, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't ask for money, and so he wouldn't publicly deny that this rumor wasn't true. It makes me so angry. I'm like, George Mueller, can't you just tell them it's not true? Because it impacted the donations they got, and they were, they were not getting anything. He says that there was no immediate answer to prayer for some months, and it seemed the rumor affected donations. Then just as the operating funds ran out, there we go, as soon as they ran out, it's, it's almost out, here comes 15 pounds, gets them through another couple days, and then, and then a, a couple days after that, here's 1,000 pounds, which'll, which would last them for a little while. Um, the, the, the following year, there was somebody, a, a group of businessmen got together and gave him 8,000 pounds, uh, which would have been a, a huge sum that would have helped pay for one of these buildings to be built. And this is what George Mueller wrote, because he didn't always get immediate answers to his prayers. We always think, oh, George Mueller, he, God answered all of his prayers. And, and it says, day by day, he said, day by day for 19 months. 19 months, he wrote, I had been looking out for more abundant help than I had had. I was fully assured that God would send help, larger, well, send help with larger sums. Yet the delay was long. But see how precious it is to wait on God. See how those who do so are not confounded. His response after having to wait 19 months wasn't um, sad that he had to wait 19 months. He was saying, "Look, I can look how God proves Himself after 19 months, and He provided just like I had requested." We 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 tend to think, and we have a very short attention span with our prayers. I think, and we pray for something once and then forget about it and uh, he, he didn't do that. He, te- he kept a meticulous journal of what he prayed and of all the money that they received. We'll more about that later. Um, so that's a, um, that's a, yeah, there we go. So there's a, a, a drawing of the Ashley Down orphan houses. Uh, you can see it there. You can go to the next one. Uh, another a a picture I don't remember what year that is you go to the next one here's a more modern picture of a portion of the houses and then let's show some pictures of some of the orphans here you can see man they dressed them Mary was uh, excellent at everything um, domestic if you will and she could sew and seam and put dresses together and she knew what fabrics worked and what didn't and they taught all all the girls in the orphanages how to how to do these things and so they they were dressed well keep going and here's a picture of the boys. They, uh, you, you can see they're also dressed. In the bottom picture, you can't tell, but they're learning, I believe, carpentry or something with tools. So they gave them biblical instruction, they gave them academic instruction and practical instruction. When they left the orphanage, they actually gave them a little bit of money and a Bible and and a, and a pair of clothing and said, "All right," they, they set them up with an apprenticeship. They had a person that that was their job to set them up with an apprenticeship when they're when they're ready to leave. Here you go," he he, he said. Uh, now your your right tight. they put the Bible in his r- their right hand and, uh, and the money in the left hand and said your your right hand's stronger than your left hand right and he they said yes well hold on to this and then it, this hand will be fine you don't won't have to worry about what's in this hand if you hold on to the Bible in this hand um, so that was a neat picture uh, and and then let's talk about the the last section of his life Mary Mary passed away and he married another. Um, gal named Susanna, and Susanna proved to be uh, just as helpful of, of, of a spouse and a companion and a partner. The second portion of his life, you can stay on Susanna for a moment, uh, he, when he was 70 years old, the, the orphan houses were running well, funds were coming in, and he had hired some folks to help him manage day-to-day operations, and he felt like the time was right uh, to move on and kind of become that missionary that he'd always wanted to do. So from the time he was 70 for 17 years until he was 87 years old, he traveled and preached and taught and evangelized. He went to 42 countries. He, he preached, basically they, the, the books say he, he preached on an average of once a day. So some days that's twice a day. and um, He got to visit some of the organizations that the SKI funded. For example, he went to Spain and, and saw an orphanage in Spain that was caring for 150 orphans. That was fully funded by the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad that he had started. That was funding this, and he got to go visit it and and speak there and see them and encourage them. Um, he used those later years of his life to the fullest. Okay, good. We've we've got uh, we've got plenty of time now. So, lessons. Did you see snippets of a sovereign God in in? In that, uh, in that pattern. Uh, one of the, the most impactful to me was this man named Beta. Beta, he met at the bar. So he was partying and drinking, and, and, and he met Beta at a bar, and Beta came up to him and said, I think, we're, I, think I know you. Can we be friends? And, and George says, yeah, we'll see what happens. Like, I remember you. You were a goody, goody two-shoes in high school, and I don't know I'm really excited about being friends with you. So I'll just, we'll just see how it goes. But, but Beta uh, partied with him a little bit, and they did um, some of that. But then Beta turned around and he said, I- I'm going to this, I can't go to the bar with you tonight. I'm going to the Bible meeting. And on a whim, it, it, it's like he just decided to go with them. And it's been in my mind ever since, what, uh, who in my life could I just invite to go to church? Could there be a George Mueller out there who you need to invite to go to church. No, seriously. He was, uh, and, and young people especially, some of you who are walking with the Lord, uh, he was 20 years old when he was converted. And some of you will be that age, some of you in the here might be that age, 20 years old when he was converted. And it was because somebody said, why don't you come to the Bible meeting with me? And you know what they did? They prayed, they read the Bible, they sang, and they read a sermon. It, it, um, and they, they just lived what they believed. Uh, it was impactful. God was sovereign in all the different uh, provision that he provided for George and his wife and, his, and, and the orphans. They, they didn't go hungry. There's no record of them going hungry in the, in the whole time uh, of that orphanage. So I, one of the th- I, I'm telling you the things that I believe that I was trying to learn as I was convicted as I read th- these books and listened to George Mueller and about him delighting in God, you know, um, there was a, a season early on in his life, it was before he became a pastor, and it was in England, and he got invited to listen to a, another pastor preach, and he, he was so moved, he said, I want to spend more time with him, and he, he spent the next 10 to 14 days with this pastor, and, um, and I want to read to you uh, what, he, what he said about that. I think that's my next yeah my next quote here. This, this season with this pastor, he said, it was at that time that God began to show me that his word alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things. Okay, stop for a second. Look, eyes look, here instead of at the quote. George Mueller was a man of the Bible. He was convinced from early on in his ministry what he needed to grow was the Bible. What he needed for life was the Bible. And he, and he, and he lived it. He, read, he, he says he read the Bible through at least 300 times in his life. Um, I would ask you, how many times have you read the Bible through in your life? I'm asking myself, how many times have I read the Bible through? But not just that, have we immersed ourselves in the Word? Um, Okay, let's keep reading. The Word alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things, that it can be explained only by the Holy Spirit, and that in our day, as well as in former times, He is the teacher of His people. The office of the Holy Spirit I had not experimentally understood before that time. Indeed, of the office of each of the blessed persons in what is commonly called the Trinity, I had no experimental apprehension. He says, yeah, he didn't experience it. He didn't understand what that was. I had not seen before seen from the scriptures that the Father chose us before the foundation of the world, that in him was the wonderful plan of our redemption originated, and that he also appointed all the means by which it was to be brought about. Further, that the Son to save us had fulfilled the law to satisfy its demands, and with it also the holiness of God, that he had borne the punishment due to our sins and had thus satisfied the justice of God. And further, that the Holy Spirit alone can teach us about our state by nature, show us the need of a Savior, and enable us to believe in Christ, explain to us the Scriptures, and help us in preaching, etc. He was convinced of the core doctrines of Scripture, right? Right? And he was convinced that the Bible is what he needed and is what we needed. Okay. Any those of you who knew about George Mueller, any comments or questions before I I I keep moving, or any thoughts that you've got about what's gone on? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. so I think I, I, I totally agree. I, I see God as sovereign through this, but that our role, we are supposed to delight in God. And that's going to be, we're not going to delight in the things of this world, and then we're going to trust and obey, and that's just what he did. He saw needs, and he met them, and he, and he, and he evangelized, and he preached, and he trusted. Like in one sense, you're like, it wasn't that it's, not that, it's not rocket science. He took God at his word and just lived it. I'm with you. It's really, um, okay, so I've got a couple other thoughts I want to give you to encourage you to read about George Mueller. There are really accessible ways to do this. And if you want a resource, I can give you uh, like a link to it. But he wrote an autobiography that is really, you know, it's his exact words. It's fascinating. Uh, a contemporary of his named A.T. Pearson who was a pastor, wrote a biography about him. I've read that one. It's great. A uh, well, More modern biography about thir- in the last 30 years. Uh, I don't remember the man's name. It's called De- Delighted in God is the, is the subtitle of it. George Mueller, Delighted in God. Um, and then uh, a group called YWAM has these smaller ones that are really kind of geared toward younger people. And uh, they actually have it uh, at the library. I, I got it on my Overdrive app and I listen. I listened to the whole thing, and then I listened to some of it with my sons. We're going to finish it together, but that one was really good, and it's a it's a quick pace. John Piper. If you ever listen to him, he's done a biographical sermon and sketch that I would commend to you as well. It's really good. Okay, so here's some ideas of why you guys, why I would encourage you to read or listen to something on George Mueller. Number one, his marriage, his marriage with his wife, especially Mary, but also Susanna, and. Um, they, they were delighted in each other. He, he says that every year our happiness increased more and more. I never saw my beloved wife at any time without being delighted to do so. Could you say that about your spouse? I had never seen my spouse in a moment and I wasn't delighted to see that spouse. If you can't say that, George Mueller would encourage you to read the Bible and pray together. They, uh-oh, it's not in my notes here, they spent hours, uh, at least an hour every single day praying together. If you do that with your spouse, I would imagine there would be more delight, and I would encourage you in that direction. He's, he said to her, my darling, I never saw you at any time since you became my wife without my being delighted to see you. Um, and and he, he mentioned these times that they would sit together. It was right before dinner or after dinner, and he said, there we sat, side by side, her hand in mine as a habitual thing, having a few words of loving intercourse or, or being silent, but most happy in the Lord and in each other, whether we spoke or were silent. Isn't that beautiful? It's just beautiful. Our happy, it's, he says, Our happiness in God and in each other was indescribable. My darling, do you think there is a couple in Bristol or in the world happier than we are? Um, go ahead and skip to the... Second to last slide here. He, he kind of explained why, keep going, he kind of explained, uh, here it is, why, why he thought their marriage was so good. And he says, both of us, by God's grace, had one object of our life, and only one, to live for Christ. Well, makes sense, doesn't it? Number two, we had the blessing of having an abundance of work to do. By God's grace, we gave ourselves to it, and this abundance of work greatly tended to increase the happiness Our mornings never began with uncertainty of how to spend the day and what to do. So you think about that. When you're doing something alongside somebody else with that common purpose, you you grow together, right? And and there's a camaraderie that happens. And so when you and your spouse or even you and a close friend have a central purpose that you're aiming towards, um, there's going to be a a, a unity, a a natural unity that happens, especially as long as it's the same purpose. Number three, as busy as we were, we never allowed this to interfere with the care of our souls. Before we went to work, we had as a habitual practice our seasons for prayer and reading holy scriptures. like, this guy must have been so busy. How did he keep that time safe for that? And then lastly, and most of all to be noticed, is this. We had for many years, whether 20 or 30 or more, I do not know, besides our season for private prayer and family prayer, also habitual uh, seasons of praying together. It was like, okay, so they had personal prayer, they had family prayer, and then they had couple prayer, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, Prayer, prayer, prayer. It's, uh, okay, so if you, if you want to be encouraged in your marriage or you want to encourage somebody else in their marriage, I would encourage you to read about George Mueller. If you, uh, one of the things that's really surprised me was the hospitality. In those days, um, the, the it's not that they necessarily lived closer, they still had to walk to each other's homes or or ride or something, but he always had somebody in his home. And the fact that he didn't always have a lot to eat didn't keep him from being hospitable. And there were multiple times I read that he was like, we had to have this lady over because she didn't have anything to eat or they needed to be encouraged in the Lord, but we didn't know how we were going to feed them. And then God provided the food and God provided the money to be able to care for these people. And I do think that hospitality is something that's commanded in Scripture and something expected of believers. And so I would ask you, how is your hospitality ministry? How, who, who comes into your home? Who do you serve? Who do you find ways to practically love? And, and how can you plan to do that? Some of you do, do this and do this regularly, and I, I thank you for it. He had a friendship with a guy. I, I told you there was a co-pastor. His name was Henry, I think, Craig. And uh, nobody's a lone ranger in the Christian life, you do this with other people. And he had somebody else who was close with him who he did this together with. you got to read about George Mueller for that. Um, he journaled. I mean, How else would we have this information? He's got this old autobiography that he wrote. He kept meticulous notes of everything that happened and all of the uh, money that came in. He was a journaler. I am convinced that it will help anybody spiritually if they keep a journal. And I am not very good at this. My wife is much better at it than I am. But even a prayer journal. Let me ask you. How many, how many prayers of yours has the Lord answered? Can you tell me? tell me? Tell me one of the prayers he's answered recently. George Mueller could do this and tell you. He'd go to his journal and he could say, I've got a record of God's faithfulness. I can go look at it and I can be encouraged by it for those 19 months or the years that are hard. Or when God doesn't answer his prayer and Mary dies and, and, his, and his son dies in infancy, what's he gonna turn to? And he had a record that he could go back to, very similar to what they did even the Israelites did, right? They remembered and set up stones to remember, okay? Journal, journal your prayers. To, to some of the saints in this room that are older than I am, maybe in your 70s or your 80s, God's not done with you yet. He still needs you. He, George Mueller uh, was very active, and, and he was even uh, working in the orphanage after he came back, after he was 87, until he was about 92 when he died. He was still going to the orphanage and doing what he could and overseeing things. Um, you should read about George Mueller because of that. To the, to the wealthy, some of you in here have funds and God didn't do this without people giving to his work. Some of you have the ability to give to this church, to give to ministries and to fund God's kingdom work here and around the world. Uh, I would encourage you to read this book to get motivated to see what your, your money can do and to see how you can invest in the kingdom to come, not in this world. Okay, and finally, uh, to our young people, to our young people who are in here, I would encourage you for a couple reasons. Number one, you can see what it's like for somebody who's willing to give up all of the earthly pleasures they lived for. He lived for it, and he loved it, and he gave it up for a better delight. You can read about that. I think, it, especially for you young people, I'm, looking, I'm trying to find you and look at you, the, the decisions he made when he was 20 made an impact for the rest of his life. They did, it set a course for him. When he became converted and the people he spent time with and the things that he did, they set a course. And the decisions you make now and the decisions you will make in the next five and 10 years are gonna impact the rest of your life. Who do you wanna spend time with? What do you wanna spend time doing? What are your goals in life? Surround yourself with good friends. Surround yourself with godly influences and disciples. You will benefit. That I would read this to be encouraged for that. And finally, uh, those of you who might be looking for a spouse, or maybe one day look for a spouse, or help your children look for a spouse, I would read this book. You hear and you see the picture of marriage, and you see the kind of faith that these people were made of. Let me give you an example. Mary, so they, they get married, and they, and Mary moves into his home. And And the first thing he realizes, well, you've got a lot of stuff with you. Like, I didn't realize you had all this stuff. She goes, well, you didn't think I was poor, did you? She had a family, and her brother had been a missionary, but um, she had collected things, and she was eight years older than he was, so she was already living uh, and had, you know, material possessions. So he's out preaching, and and he comes back, and she has set up the home, and she has put her stuff around, and she has bought more stuff and has it all set out. And he comes in, and he goes... It's got to go. She goes, what? It's got to go? He goes, it's got to go. What has to go? All of it. I said, what are you you talking about? Why does it have to go? He says, I am preaching to these people who have nothing, who have very little, and I'm telling them to rely on God, and I'm teaching them what it looks like to have faith. I can't live with all this good stuff and with uh, with all the material possessions I need and and then tell them that God's going to take care of them. It's just got to go. Well, he, he goes about his ministry, and he comes back. A, a couple days later, he comes back, and it's gone. I'm going to cry. And there's money on the counter. And she goes, you can trust God. I'll trust God with you, and he'll provide everything we need. If you want to look for a spouse, you want to find somebody that will follow you like that or that will be with you and a partner with you just like that. Right? Amen? Um, that's the kind of person Mary was, that's the kind of person G- George was, and um, he didn't believe everybody needed to not ask for money. He, he thought it was scriptural that you would give to your church and you would support your pastor, in it, and it is. He wanted to live that way so that he could strengthen folks' faith. So, that's what I've got for you. What I want to do as we end is I'd like you to grab your hymnal that's there. Can you, can you, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cough here for a second.